welcome to our podcast series, Catechism and Sacraments. Today's episode will introduce our panel for the first few episodes, and we'll also provide some thoughts and insights on question and answer number one from um, the New City Catechism. So let's begin. Panel, I'm going to open this up to you guys. You can introduce yourselves, um, share how you're connected to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and just share a little bit about your experience with various catechisms. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll get started. Um, my name is Aaron Klein, and I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Um, you know, part of uh, my entry into creeds and confessions was actually through my previous denomination, which was uh, the Reformed Church in America. Uh, I grew up uh, studying as kind of becoming familiar with uh, catechisms. And uh, so I grew up around things like the, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, the, um, the Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort. Uh, and so I'm excited to be able to, uh, to share a little bit about some of my uh, history with it. I'm actually becoming more familiar with uh, the Westminster Catechism as I come into uh, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And so I'm learning more about it as well. Um, but I'm excited to have an opportunity to talk about uh, how the, the catechisms have really spoken into my life and kind of uh, informed and been formative for my faith. And so uh, thanks for the opportunity to share with you this morning. Hi, I'm Kathy Davis, and my family and I have been at Presby since about 2015. Uh, I got involved with teaching Sunday school pretty quickly after we arrived and also kids worship. So since then, I've really worked with kids from preschool to middle school um, in Sunday school and kids worship. And it's really cool because I get a very good theological workout trying to make this accessible to kids of all ages. Uh, so I grew up Lutheran, uh, which meant that I memorized uh, Luther's small catechism instead of Westminster or uh, Heidelberg. Um, I don't remember a thing of it from confirmation classes. I, I do remember the gist of it because the way Luther works is always, and I think this is why I am the way I am, you get a catechism question and then what does this mean? <laughs> Always this, what does this mean rhythm I love and I'm very familiar with. Um, but I really didn't have encounters with catechisms after that until grad school. Uh, my husband and I, my husband grew up Baptist. And so we thought that a Presbyterian church was a good place to meet in the middle for the two of us and ended up at a Presbyterian church in a small group uh, where the lot of us who are scientists and engineers and again, like to ask, what does it mean? Uh, spent about a year on the Heidelberg Catechism with the proof text. So it was pretty cool and it was a good theological workout for us again. Uh, right now though, uh, I am doing the uh, preschool through about third grade Sunday school class with Angie Leopold. And uh, we're using kind of a blend of the New City Catechism and Westminster and Heidelberg. So getting a wide variety of catechism experience here. Hi, I'm Andrew Morton. I happen to be the associate pastor here at Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And I, I think in this particular conversation, I'm the only one of us who actually grew up Presbyterian. So uh, I grew up in a denomination that uh, once upon a time had used the catechism quite a bit. Uh, my grandfather tells stories about his Sunday school teacher teaching them the catechism at the age of 93 years old he can still recite from memory some of the catechism questions and answers that he learned a while ago. I'm, I'm really envious of that, actually, because um, even though it's part of my denominational heritage, um, I, I was never taught the catechism at all as a kid. That was kind of all in the past 
by the time I was growing up. And, and so going to church as a kid, as a teenager, um, you know, there, there were copies of smart sounding books that included catechisms uh, resting on the bookshelves in my parents' home. And I would sometimes hear older church members make a passing reference to the Westminster Catechism, but it really wasn't part of my life um, at all until really I was an adult. Um, uh, the first real experience I had with a catechism was when I was a college student. The college that I went to had its origins in the Dutch Reformed tradition, so the Heidelberg Catechism was a very important part of that culture and heritage. And for a lot of college uh, chapel services and Sunday night services, we, we would confess parts of the catechism together. And I found that it was actually really meaningful for me, it really spoke powerfully to important questions and truths that as a college student, I was thinking through and, and wondering about. And so that really got my attention. Uh, my, my second real experience with a catechism came when I was a seminary student. And for one of my classes, I actually had to memorize about 30 questions and answers from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And uh, it was a lot of work as an adult. Uh, I, I really kind of wished that I had learned that as a kid when it would have been easier, but I, I kind of got a little closer to catching up with my grandfather at that time during those years. Um, and then finally, I've been using a modern catechism that's called the Children's Catechism at home with my kids. And I found that along the way, as I'm trying to teach my sons questions and answers from that catechism, I'm learning a lot right there with them. And so that's really been rewarding. Thanks, everyone. Um, today, we're going to really dive into question and answer number one from the New City Catechism, um, which was kind of put together by Tim Keller and his group. Our families largely use that at home, um, and our children's ministry uses it in a lot of different ways here at the church. Um, it's not necessarily the catechism that our denomination um, holds as one of the catechisms we use regularly. But again, it is the one that our families are using. So this episode um, and the following episodes are really for our families diving into how do we explain this to our kids? Because it's certainly not an easy task. So the first question um, of the New City Catechism is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer given is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All of these questions and answers are based off of a Bible passage. And so this Bible passage for this question is Romans 14, seven through eight. And it says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. All right, so panel, here's your first question. Why is it important for us to understand that our hope is in us belonging to Jesus Christ. And Pastor Andrew, we're gonna begin with you. Okay, well, I really love the fact that the New City Catechism starts off by talking about hope. I think this is really important, first because we live in a world that honestly can seem pretty hopeless at times. And so part of the scandalous beauty of the Christian faith is that it audaciously declares that yes, no matter how bleak or how dire things may seem, there is hope, there is real hope for our lives. Second, I, th I think it's important because there are so many things out there that compete for our hope. 
there are different places where I can place my hope. Do I place my hope in myself? Do I, I put my hope in human strength or ingenuity and in wealth and power and pleasure? Does my hope rest in political parties or in my friends or, or even my family? But the Catechism makes it very clear that true hope is really only found in Jesus Christ. And, and then third, the wording of the Catechism, I think, is so important here, that, that hope is found not simply in knowing Jesus. It's not just about having Jesus on my team or enjoying the blessings of having him in my life, but hope is found in belonging to Jesus, in surrendering myself to him, in submitting to him really in signing away my rights to myself and placing myself fully under his lordship. And that is so radically opposed to the kind of me-centered culture that we live in and really our fallen human nature that is always bent inward on ourselves. Uh, yet that's where our true hope is found, not in ourselves, not in these other things, but in belonging to Jesus. Thanks. Kathy? So the thing that stopped me in my tracks when I was reflecting on this question is that it's the first one. Um, so by comparison, the one that I memorized, Luther's small catechism, starts right in with the Ten Commandments. And I get it, right? This is the Lutheran way. You have the law on one side, and that's to convict you of your sin and show you that you are wrong. And then the gospel is there to heal you when you realize that you're, whole, you're, you're in trouble, right? And there's no way of measuring up to the standard of the law. And that's a really necessary point of Christian doctrine. But the thing I like about um, New City and about Heidelberg starting in this place is that it's a, starting from a place of belonging instead of a place of action. And that's where our hope is. So I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so having that all up front to say that there's nothing I can do or say or anything to change the fact that I belong to God is really hopeful. Um, and not only that I belong, but Aaron will talk about this in a second, that God went to really, really great lengths through Jesus to keep me belonging to him. So right from the beginning of the catechism, we're being invited into a life with God where our thoughts and our words and our deeds come from security of being God's beloved child, not from a sense of inadequacy or an inability to be perfect. And I find that really, really hopeful. And I love that some of these catechisms start out in that way. That's a beautiful sentiment. Thank you. Um, all right, Aaron, share with us about Heidelberg a little bit. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because I would say that um, as soon as I read the New City Catechism uh, and really for the first time uh, as I was reading through it, uh, saw, I mean, it just pulls this very first question and answer right out of the Heidelberg, which, of course, for me is kind of, I would say, right up my alley. Um, of course, it shortens it a little bit. And so for me growing up, this was one of those questions that we had to like memorize. And so, you know, it continues on by saying like Christ has fully paid for all of my sins and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. That because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So I, I, I say it all in its entirety because I think really for me, that is what I would consider a summary 
of our gospel hope. And I think that the new city catechism by just capturing that first part reminds us ultimately of our hope being in Jesus Christ. But I think what we see is how, you know, it's Christ who gave us life. It's it's Christ who sets us free uh, from the power of the devil. It's Christ who watches over us. It's, it's Christ who assures us of salvation. And then it's the Holy Spirit who promises us eternal life, who makes us ready for not only to live in this life, but also the promise for the life to come. So I think ultimately when, when we read this in the question about, well, what's our hope, well, what the catechisms point us toward is the fact that our hope is in belonging to Jesus. And it's a hope that we can have not only in this life, but also in the life to come. So I I love the way in which this catechism starts out. Yeah, I think as a mom of three children, when I think about the things they'll walk through in life and the challenges they're going to face, this is what I want them to have at their core every day, every hard thing they face. I want them to know in their innermost being that they belong to Jesus Christ. So I love that you all kind of tied that together, the the struggles of our world and the way that we interact with it, that this is our foundation and and who we really are. This is our true identity. So thanks for that. Um, So at the same time though, again, I have three little kids and they love to nitpick questions and stories and find flaws in things. So how exactly can we have hope in death? Um, I'm thinking literally like my almost five-year-old would say, but if you're dead, you can't have hope, mommy. Like that would be her train of thought. And I know that's not what it means. So Pastor Aaron, we'll start with you on answering this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a really good question. And, uh, and I think for me, it, that this one kind of requires a story. Uh, when we think about how do we have hope in death. And so um, the story goes back to when I was in uh, junior high or high school, and we were uh, traveling as a family down to Florida. We were going to be going and spending some time with my grandparents. But uh, we also knew that my grandfather was in the process of kind of passing from this life to the next. And so uh, knowing that he was kind of coming to the end of his life and um, sadly, while we were in the car driving down to Florida, we got the news that uh, my grandfather had died. And so this kind of turned instead of just a, a family vacation into a funeral. Now, the reason I say all this is because the, the, the day that we have the funeral and we're gathered to get together as a family, uh, I would say that there were some there were some serious questions for us as a family about our, our hope. Um, and about our our grandfather's eternal state. And uh, partly because this goes back to when uh, my dad was growing up in that home. They grew up in the church, but sometime when my dad was in his early, late teens, early 20s, something happened in the life of the church. And so my grandparents never stepped foot in a church again. And so 50 years went by and my grandparents never stepped foot in church. And uh, whenever my dad would try to talk to uh, his parents about their faith, uh, they would always say, like, son, we just don't want to talk about it. And so, you know, as as a family, we're gathered there at this funeral and just really saddened because we we just had so many questions um, about about our about my grandfather. Well, this is one of the most amazing things to me is that 
when the funeral was over and we were at the the luncheon together, there was this gentleman who came up to us and he said, you know, I can tell that you're a family of faith. And he said, I would want you to know this, that in those last weeks of your dad's life or of your grandfather's life, I went to the nursing home every single day. And he said, I want you to know that on the day before your father died, we recited together Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 1A. And I can't begin to tell you the tears that it brought to our eyes because, you know, for for my grandfather to then be able to confess that my my only hope in life and in death is my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Um, for us, that that changed the entire tenor of that day uh, and that funeral because we realized it, it truly was a, a life celebration. And so the question about where is our hope, the hope was in the fact that we knew that we would see uh, our grandpa or our dad again. So for me, that's why catechisms like this can speak so powerfully because they remind us truly of what we hold together as believers is that our comfort in life and in death is Jesus Christ. So that's what that means to me. That's, that's a beautiful, beautiful Testament to his life. Um, yeah, we can't, we can't protect our kids from the death of those family members, um, that they hold dear. And so I think having this again at the core of their faith, having that statement that even in death, we have that hope is a really beautiful, beautiful thing. Pastor Andrew. Yeah, Aaron, thanks for sharing that, that story. I think that speaks really powerfully about the, the hope that, that we can have in the resurrection. And that's one of the things that comes to mind for me as well. When I think about this question, the fact that unless Jesus comes back first someday, I'm going to die. Someday my earthly body is going to stop functioning and that body is going to be placed in the ground in a hillside country cemetery in central Indiana. And uh, it's probably going to be there for a long time. But the catechism reminds me that my story doesn't end there. Uh, that someday, maybe much, much later, that body is going to be glorified that Jesus will return and that earthly body will come to life again. It will be remade. It will be perfected. I will return to that body and I'm going to climb up out of the ground uh, to revel forever in that perfected countryside of Indiana or whatever the life of the world to come will look like. Uh, the majesty of a world that has been put right from the devastation of sin and brokenness in the fall. And so I can approach death because of that with the very real hope that the best truly is yet to come. And the second way that this speaks to me has to do with, you know, what aspect of death really, you know, to me brings the most fear to mind. Because if I'm honest with myself, I'm really not that afraid of, of dying. But what does terrify me is the thought of not being there for my family. I mean, if I were to die anytime soon, my great sorrow and regret would be that my wife would be left without a husband and my three sons would have to grow up without an earthly father in their life. But the catechism meets me there and it, it responds to that fear and those thoughts of sadness by reminding me that I don't belong to myself, that I belong to Jesus. And so whenever he does call me away from this earthly life, 
part of what it means that I belong to him is that what I leave behind and who I leave behind also belongs to him, that my wife belongs to him, my sons belong to him, and he will take care of them even when I can't anymore. And that gives me incredible peace of mind and incredible hope that takes away a lot of death's sting, knowing that Jesus is faithful both in life and in death, that changes everything. I think it's really beautiful when we can impart that knowledge to our children too. Uh, my, my grandma passed away prior to my children meeting her and her name was Evelyn. And we named our firstborn daughter, Evelyn. And she regularly says to me, I'm really sad that I didn't get to meet great grandma, Evelyn, but I know I'll get to hug her someday. And that just makes my heart so happy that she she knows that at her core she might you know i i lied awake in bed at night afraid that my parents would die or something would happen to them but at her core she already knows that and has that foundation that i'll see them again even if they die i'm going to be reunited with those people because we all belong to jesus and i think that's really beautiful to pass on to them all right so backing away from death a little bit the next question is, what does it really look like for someone to belong body and soul to God and to our savior, Jesus Christ? I think we talk a lot um, in churches and in our faith about belonging, our soul belonging to Jesus Christ. But what about our body? Kathy, let's start with you. Sure. Um, so this fall, when we started going through doctrine and the catechism with the kids in Sunday school, uh, the very first lesson before we even did a catechism question was, where we talked about what is doctrine and what is the point of learning doctrine. And so I had said to them in that first lesson, you know, learning doctrine isn't about knowing stuff that I don't want you to just know stuff about God. I want what you learn to lead to love for God. And so my real goal for saying that is it's funny that you say that we talk about our soul belonging to God. I feel like an awful lot of church when it's done wrong is in management and body management, that if I can just not do the wrong things and I can keep myself, Aaron, you talked about this in the sermon recently, that if I can just not do these things, then I'll be okay. Um, and this idea that, you know, you've got some of your thoughts and actions in one category and that, you know, that's okay. God can have those. Those are controlled. And you call those sin or not sin. And then over in this other category are these things that I can keep for myself. And, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of compartmentalize them. So to say that you belong to God in body and in soul, I, I think is in not keeping anything back from God, which is really, really hard because that's not our impulse, right? We want to keep as much back from God as we can, if we can help it. And, you know, I wish I could say that I knew some sort of secret to how to do it, but at least you know, at the beginning for a catechism to call out and say we belong body and soul, it's recognizing that there's this distinction and that we're probably guilty of making that distinction and shouldn't. And that, that's a good start, I think. I'm really grateful that we all have these diverse backgrounds because I think that what you just shared um, definitely comes from your theological background and that we all have different experiences with that. Um, so thank you. Aaron, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really good to, to for us to be reminded, you know, that it's not just uh, body and it's not just soul, that it's that it's both. Um, you know, the, the, the Apostle Paul says that our bodies are temples 
of the Holy Spirit. And that we're not our own, but that we were bought with a price. So I think sometimes we we live in an, in a society we try to separate our our bodies and and our souls and and think that there's something that's separate and and of course uh philosophers throughout the ages they you know they talk about that you know and there's you know we would call them heresies where it's like the the body is evil but the spirit is good and so we, you know we want to separate those two um but i think if we understand that our bodies and souls belong to the lord that it's for us to understand then that what we do here on earth with our bodies matters. But it's not just a matter of saying that our our spirits attain heaven. And so that's the only thing that we have to worry about. But I think belonging to Jesus means that we place our hope not only in the spiritual resurrection, but the bodily resurrection as well. And so for us to, to know that it, it matters how we live here on earth, but it's equally important to, to the promise that we have in heaven, too, that it's both body and soul. So it's not just our spirits, but to know that we're going to be reunited uh, and our bodies will be made perfect. Whatever that looks like is we sometimes joke, right, as a balding guy, you know, maybe it's um, bald heads will be perfection in heaven. I don't know. But um, but for us to understand, it's it's important that it's both body and soul, not just spirit. Thanks. And Pastor Andrew, what about you? Yeah, I, th- I think what comes to mind for me is really similar to what the rest of you have shared already. I, I think that throughout a lot of church history, Christians have done a pretty thorough job of emphasizing the fact that our souls matter to God and belong to God. We talk about the salvation of our souls a lot, but I think we haven't done as good of a job at remembering Mm -hmm. that our bodies also matter to God and belong to him. Kathy, you mentioned how sometimes when we do focus on our bodies, it's about not messing up with our bodies, not doing these bad things, but we're we don't have as much of a vision on what it looks like in a positive way to honor God with our bodies and and to use that to glorify him. Uh, So we need to remember in both of our thinking and our living uh, to offer all of who we are to God, because we can so easily separate the physical from the spiritual. We can elevate spiritual things over the physical things. And that approach doesn't really come from the Bible. Uh, We might think of it as being maybe a traditional Christian view of things, but it really comes more from ancient secular ideas like Greek philosophy. Uh, But instead, true biblical historic Christianity has always celebrated the goodness and the worth of our physical world and of our human bodies. It invites us to celebrate that. Um, so, So what does that look like? How do I take that idea and apply it practically Um, to my life. Um, You know, for one thing, it means taking care of our bodies. And that's an area where the Lord has challenged me to to grow and to be a lot more intentional in my life. Uh, About five years ago, I felt really convicted in this area um, because I, I wasn't taking that great of care of my body at that time. I was too careless about stuff that I ate. I didn't really place a lot of value on exercise. And the Lord convicted me that that this was wrong, that my lifestyle was not consistent with my theology. And I was living as if I belonged to Jesus in soul, but not really in body. So under that conviction of the Holy Spirit, I started to make some changes to my habits and to my priorities. 
because my body does belong to God. It matters to him. I, I don't have a right to trash it or to neglect it. Uh, so, so taking better care of it is one of the ways that I can actually worship God, that I can express my love for the Lord and bring him honor and glory in my life. So Pastor Andrew, it sounds like you're connecting this question and answer to the idea of stewardship and applying not only the concept of stewardship to how we steward the world around us, but how we steward our own bodies. Exactly. I think it's really easy for us to think of stewardship in an abstract way that has to do with maybe the stuff that we have, but less to do with who we are. And this catechism mm -hmm. question really brings that home to us uh, that, that we belong, not just the things that we have, not just our homes, our finances, but we belong body and soul to him. And that really gets me to think about stewardship in a whole different kind of way. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that makes this question even more important, I think, as we walk alongside our children. How do we encourage them to take care of their bodies for the Lord? All right, so next question. Why is there an additional emphasis on belonging both to God and to Jesus Christ in this question? And Pastor Andrew, we're going to start with you this time. All right. Well, that's a great question, Ashley. I'm I'm actually kind of intrigued by this as well. And as Pastor Aaron, as, as you pointed out, the New City Catechism borrows this question a lot from the Heidelberg Catechism, but it does change some things along the way. Not only does it make it shorter and a little bit easier to memorize, uh, but it also changed the wording um, from comfort in the original Heidelberg to hope in the New City, which is you know, that's a slight difference, but it's a meaningful difference, but it's a difference of emphasis. It doesn't really change the idea a whole lot. And, and then, whereas the Heidelberg Catechism only mentioned that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, the New City Catechism has added God the Father as well. And so I kind of wonder, why did it stop there? Uh, why, why don't we mention the Holy Spirit here too? Um, you know, that, that would have been a nice Trinitarian way to express our, our belief that God is three in one. But, you know, the catechism didn't mention the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. I, I'm not going to write any angry letters to Tim Keller or the other people who are part of writing this. Uh, but to actually answer your question, Ashley, I, I think it's always helpful to mention different persons of the Trinity because all three persons are involved in our redemption and all three carry out distinct and important roles in our lives. So, so in what sense do we belong to the Father? We belong to him in the sense that he made us. We're his creatures. We also belong to him in the sense that God the Father has adopted us into his family as his daughters and sons. In, in what sense do we belong to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? We belong to him in the sense that he is the one who has purchased us with his blood. We belong to him in the sense that the father has exalted him to the highest place. And uh, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. So that means we're his subjects. Now, in what sense do we belong to the Holy Spirit? Well, he dwells within us. Uh, we're his temple. We are his home. We also belong to him in the sense that our spiritual life comes from him. He is the very breath of God who makes us alive. And in that way, we are fully and completely his. So I think the, the New City Catechism is helpful in that it directs our attention beyond just the person of Jesus Christ. And it reminds us of the Godhead, even though it only mentions two of the three. 
Thanks. Yeah. That's a really interesting point about leaving out the Holy spirit. I hadn't thought about that. Um, so thanks for that. Pastor Aaron, do you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more I could share than what uh, Pastor Andrew has already shared, um, because I think it is one of those things as you read through it. I I don't know if there was a specific reason why they left out the spirit and talked about uh, God, the father and the son. I, and so I, I, it's kind of um, trying to take educated guesses as to why, but I don't know. Um, so, and Pastor Andrew's already shared a, a lot about that, but um, I think it's wise for us to not simply think of it as like God created us, Christ redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit sustains us. Um, it's that leaves out uh, the, the work of the entire Trinity in both creation as well as redemption. I think for us to be able to see how uh, all three of them work both like sovereignly and, and seamlessly, and yet each in their distinct roles. And as Pastor Andrew was already saying, you know, in, in many ways, this is a summary of what the Heidelberg Catechism uh, has already talked about. And as I was saying before, with its uh, kind of larger emphasis on, you know, God watching over us and knows the hairs on our heads, uh, the, the Holy Spirit assuring us of, of salvation uh, and, and helping us to live for Christ. So, um, you know, for those reasons, I'm not exactly sure why they simply kind of keyed in on uh, the, the father and the son. But, but I think it, we could safely say that it's, we know that it's the spirit that, that leads us to Christ. And, and as the spirit does so, that we're um, adopted into God's family um, for us to know that it's not anything special that we've done. It's, uh, it's not anything heroic, um, anything that we've done to, to deserve it, but how this is a free gift. And as we come to Jesus Christ, how we belong to a larger family, we belong to God's family. You know, uh, Romans 14, eight talks about this, that if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And so for me, um, it's just trying to understand how the Godhead works together uh, for our good and to bring about salvation. So um, maybe that didn't quite answer, you know, why they only keyed in on those two, um, but to see, uh, you know, the, the work of all of the Trinity uh, in our, you know, creation and redemption. So that's, that's really interesting. So um, for a little background for our listeners, the reason I'm hosting this podcast is because I don't have a background with um, catechism. I grew up Methodist um, and mm. we did a lot of um, other things, but catechism was not part of our repertoire. Um, so when I read this question, I was initially bothered that they included Jesus, which is interesting and interesting mm. perspective, not that it's not okay to include Jesus, obviously, but we belong to the father, right? Like, I mean, logically, if we're adopted into a family, we belong to the dad. In my brain, that's just how I read it. So it's really interesting to hear that the Heidelberg began in a totally different um, perspective. And it's it's just good to hear. Kathy, do you have anything to add to this one? 
Well, what you just said that, you know, if you're adopted, you belong to the father, that is kind of interesting because that's not where my brain would have gone. That, and you, you kind of, Aaron mentioned sort of being adopted into God's family, that God himself is kind of a family when you start getting into what the Trinity is. And I'm not going to go any further than that because I get screwed up on modalism and things get bad. But um, to say that you're adopted into a family, no, you're not just dads, you're everybody. And so that, that, that's the one thing that I might be able to add, but that, that's about it. Awesome. Thanks so much. So the last question for this episode is what are some practical ways we can apply this question and answer to our life? Um, and you can think about that in terms of like our lives as, as the people who are listening to this, or how can I, as a mom, apply this to the lives of my children? So whichever way you want to take this, um, that's just fine with me. Pastor Andrew, we'll start with you and then we'll jump over to Pastor Aaron and then Kathy. Okay, yeah, I, I shared a few thoughts on this earlier, but to, to say a little bit more on that, I, I think that really if, if we as the people of God were to truly live out the truth that we belong not to ourselves, but to Jesus Christ, we would change the world because this is a simple truth, but it's a far-reaching truth. It, it deals a death blow to the idols of our hearts. It impacts every aspect of our lives. For me, living as if I don't belong to myself, but to Jesus, it changes everything. It changes the way I use social media. It means I don't have the right to respond to people harshly or unkindly. It means that I'm actually required to listen with kindness and patience and understanding. It means that I'm bound to encourage and to love and forgive other people. It changes how I use the time that I have in the course of a day. It means that there are no such things as interruptions in my schedule because every encounter with another human being is one that God has arranged for his glory because my time belongs to him, not to me. It also you know, redefines how I spend my money because it's not my money, it's, it's God's money. And as I mentioned before, it has a bearing on how I treat the body that God has entrusted to me. Not only should I take good care of it, but I should also make sure that I, I use it um, to do things that represent him well. I, I have a duty, you know, to, to bathe it, uh, to, uh, to dress in a way that expresses the lordship of Christ, uh, to, to use it to do things that honor him and to bless others, not in a kind of legalistic way, Kathy, like what you were talking about earlier, but recognizing that, that this is a blessing that God has uh, given me so that I might bless others in his name. Uh, so in short, this catechism question reminds me that, that really all of life is a grand arena to encounter Christ and to exalt Christ, that nothing that I do is too big or too small for him to care about, and every part of life is something I can use to glorify and to enjoy our triune God. You're jumping ahead on catechism questions, but we'll forgive you for that one. Um, you know, I think that when we are so in love with God and with Jesus Christ, that all of the, the doing follows that and falls in line. Um, and I love the way that you said that and shared that because that's the heart of the catechism. When we have these things at our foundation, um, when we have those things at our foundation, then it, it makes sense to um, continue on in our actions. So Pastor Aaron, what do you have to add? 
I man, how how can you how can you add to what what Pastor Andrew has already said? You know, um, but I think he's really. I mean, he's really keyed in on, uh, you know, for us, we live in in such a, uh, a kind of a me first society. Right. It's all about me. It's what I want, what I desire. Um, but to to be reminded that, you know, that I am not my own, actually, that I belong body and soul and in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. I, it makes me think of uh, just this past week in church, we were talking a little bit about what we do with our time and talents and resources. Um, this would have been a great, you know, catechism question and answer to bring in, right? Because the idea of, you know, what we do with our time, uh, you know, what we do with the gifts that God has given to us, what we do with our financial and just every other resource that we have, you know, we're so often we're we think that, well, it's mine. So I get to do what I want with it. But the question and answer reminds us that actually it's not yours. It's these are gifts that are given to you by God. So now you, we have to think, well, OK, and what I do with my body and how I live to understand that my soul doesn't even belong to me, uh, but all of it belongs to Christ, that really it should shape the way in which I live. So as Andrew has has already said, I think, you know, this this is a question that is so formative uh, for us as Christians. It really grounds us um, in our understanding of of not only the hope that we have to come, but how we're supposed to live in this life. So I speak in agreement. Awesome. Thank you. Kathy, do you have anything to add? So the one tiny plug I have to give here is that especially for parents of young children, but even if you don't have young kids, uh, the New City Catechism has a song that goes with the kids version of every single question. And if you're like me, memorizing words doesn't go so well, but memorizing music, yeah, easy, right? Um, now they're simplified. It's not the whole text, but it's enough to get the gist and especially for a little kid. And the song for this one, I really liked because the phrase that they repeat four times in a row is we are not our own. That that's the part that musically they focused on. And so, you know, if I'm going to come up with one thing that I'm working with myself or with my kids, okay, what am I doing? Am I acting like I'm my own or am I considering that I belong to God and acting accordingly. Um, that 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 refrain of "We are not our own" has been something that has popped up an awful lot since I've heard that song. That's awesome. Thank you. It's amazing how those songs for children contain so many nuggets for us as parents and adults in their lives. So thanks. All right. Well, panel, thank you for joining us today. Um, for those of you listening, if you have other questions or thoughts. Go ahead and put those in the comment section, or you can always send an email to us at the church. Thanks.